It's 2022 and it's middle school. Hey, Farhan, how are you doing? I'm good, Dario. How are you? We're back. We're back after what, a year long hiatus? Yeah, it's been too long, but, uh, you know, I think we, we probably thought that more would have happened in the music industry than has happened, but that doesn't mean that doesn't give us enough to talk about, does it? Very true. It's the, well, I'd like to think it's the end of COVID. But uh, don't tempt fate there. <laughs> Concerts are back. Have you been to anything exciting? Uh, we went and saw George Ezra uh, in Finsbury Park over last weekend, which was a lot of fun. Uh, my son's first concert, uh, he chose George Ezra, and that was great. Uh, perfect timing in the middle of the, the London heat wave. So we're in 30 plus uh, degrees out in the middle of the park, but, but we managed all right. Very cool. I remember my first concert as well. So. Yeah, same. Because even. Tapping you on the shoulder to go to some more. Not yet. I mean, I think he enjoyed the experience, but we'll see kind of what comes up and what comes up next. Uh, I saw that Kendrick just announced the, the November dates for London as well, which should be fun. Yep. He's trending on Twitter, isn't he? Because uh, what the, the Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers tour just kicked off in, I believe, New York. Yep. That's correct. Should awesome. Good. Well, 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 well. It's 2022 and it's been the year of big releases, or should I say comeback albums on the back of uh, the COVID hiatus. So what we'll be doing, we're just keeping on trend. Um, so what we this year, we've had big releases and surprise releases from the likes of Kendrick Lamar, Drake, Post Malone. Um, I mean, the list goes on. There's some hotly anticipated releases for the second half of the year. I can't believe it. We're already in July and uh, we're finally recording an episode for the year. Is there, is or are there any albums that are standing out in your mind right now? I mean, Kendrick's album was a long time coming. Um, and I do think that that was a great album. Post Malone actually surprised me. Um, it was actually better than I thought. I'm not a huge Post Malone fan, but, but I thought the album was okay uh, on that front. I was a little bit disappointed, if I'm honest, by Drake. Um, didn't feel like it was too much thought kind of going into to that one and kind of picking up on a couple of trends. I'm excited about the new Beyonce album and, and I'm hoping that, you know, kind of Queen Bee might rescue the world. Hey, it's interesting you have that perspective on Post Malone. It's a little bit of context for you. Um, from what I can understand, based on a Billboard article, he released the Motley Crue single last year. I don't think it did particularly well, but as you know, in these new markets, people are putting out individual singles just to test the waters. But it was actually the label that put a lot of pressure on him to not be so introspective and try and make a more commercially successful album or an album that would be more commercially suitable. So there was a lot of friction, despite the fact that he's had multiple number one successes and has a great catalog. Don't know how much of a great performer he is, bit of a controversial statement there, but just, you know, watching YouTube and living vicariously through live concerts on there doesn't look great but the album was very introspective and he seems to admit that he wants to move away from making hits and rather move towards making music he enjoys uh, but that being said uh, you know quite different to the likes of the Drake album you've mentioned which just seems to have been put out to try and rack up some some more hits. Yeah and then if you compare that to kind of pop music right we've also seen like a bunch of uh, I think, kind of really good pop albums. I mean, I think the new Lizzo album uh, was really good. I think Harry Styles actually surprised me. I actually ended up liking Harry Styles album way more uh, than I thought I would. And then kind of bringing it back to, to hip hop, um, love him or, or hate him, you know, we saw Jack Harlow uh, also release new music this year. And, and I thought actually that album surprised me. I ended up liking it and blasting it way more than I thought I would. Jack Hollow, that's a good point, actually, because when I was in the States, they were doing a big push for that. Um, I think, though, at least from my personal perspective, there's been nothing that's really made me really want to 
hit the the replay button multiple times. I love Kendrick's album. It's very introspective. It's very topical. Uh, I think um, for those of you who don't know, you know, he was originally meant to perform in 2019 at the BSTs, the British Summertime Hyde Park mm -hmm. concerts, uh, which is an amazing feat. Uh, you know, this year they had the Rolling Stones, Adele, Pearl Jam, uh, Elton John, etc. And uh, it seems like, you know, they were doing the PG Lang rollout. I don't know, for those of you who have listened to previous episodes, we spoke about that in, in February, March 2020. Uh, sorry, 2020, not 2019. I said that earlier. Get all the dates confused with COVID. And um, so it seems as though they went back to the drawing board and, and, and really, you know, built this cohesive concept album, which, you know, we've spoken about before. I really like that. It's a, it's a, it's a really solid body of work, not just a, a set of standalone singles yeah and i think him coming back out to glastonbury where glastonbury was like you know a great performance and really kind of threw down the gauntlet in terms of production value right when you think about the the, the kind of modern dance kind of use in that and just having kendrick on stage was an awesome feat and it's interesting to see how much content is coming up around music so, you know, even his uh, Thorn of Diamonds crown had so much content around the production and the partnership with Tiffany's and everything else around it. It's interesting to see how artists have kind of used the time to think creatively of everything around the music, not just the music. It's full stack. I agree with you. I think if even, I mean, referring to the Super Bowl performance of this year, I mean, man, dude, uh, you know, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, even at Anderson Park, make a feature on Eminem's performance Fitty. playing the drums. Don't Fitty, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Upside down there. I think the game was pretty salty to be left out of that one. Um, but, you know, out of all the artists that performed that evening, in my view, Kendrick's was the most compelling. And that just boils down to not necessarily just stage presence. Because, um, and, and, you know, in terms of songs and song structure, they're all, you know, amazing artists. But in terms of cinematography and choreography, if you look at the way in which his specific performance of DNA was filmed, um, it's very encapsulating. And to your point, we saw that with Glastonbury, even the live feed, um, as well as, you know, the trending Kendrick uh, kind of content that was on Twitter this week for his, for his new tour. Uh, so to your point, I think that, you know, music, what's separating good artists from great artists in this new climate is really thinking about, you know, the, the full stack process behind not just making music, but the, the image and the message that, that sits in the content you're creating. Yeah, and I think what we're really seeing as well is the globalization, right? So it's interesting to see that, you know, from a Latin music perspective, Bad Bunny is kind of really taking over a lot of the airwaves in the US at least and in Latam. And then you've got Burna Boy as well, kind of like making appearances and popping up and getting popularity in the US as well as Europe. So it's interesting to see that it's going beyond, you know, the typical geographies. And while you're getting some artists who have a track record and they're still kind of doing new stuff, you're also getting new artists from new regions. So it's nice to see kind of the globalization of music alongside all of that as well. Yeah, and you know, we were talking about this earlier offline around Ed Sheeran and how he's become uh, integral in working with these different artists to try and cross the Rubicon and build relationships over and above his traditional material. Um, you know, so again, as an artist, he's able to find that balance between putting out an individual solo album that's more maybe emotional and introspective, but also working with interesting new artists uh, and building the, the club bangers or, or the more, more pop-orientated singers. Yeah, I mean, 
Ed, Ed Sheeran this year has released collaborations as, as just off the top of my head. You know, he started the year with Fireboy in Peru. He's done Burna Boy. And just recently, I think today, the, the new Rust track came out. So, you know, like from Afrobeats to new emerging hip hop artists, uh, Ed Sheeran has definitely kind of done some really interesting collaborations this year. And the album wasn't bad uh, either alongside that and had his mathematics tour uh, alongside now having, I think, most of the the math symbols uh, albums kind of complete. What's he going to do next? Go on to Trig and Greek alphabet. Um, in terms of this creativity conundrum, something I wanted to talk to you about was I watched Machine Gun Kelly's Life in Pink documentary. And what I found quite interesting is, you know, again, we've spoken about this before and how labels typically only monetize 2% of their catalog. What was quite interesting was how he capitalized on COVID and moved away from hip hop and into the likes of alternative punk rock, you know, the Blink 182s of this world, maybe, you know, a genre that was predominantly quite popular in the early 2000s. And what I thought was quite interesting was despite working with Travis Barker and putting out from what I believe what would be a very successful track, he still had kind of pushback from the likes of Interscope and the label. And there's actual content in the documentary where he had to present this body of work to a room or boardroom of probably 20 to 40 individuals, most of which he probably didn't know of all ages. And I just find it quite funny. And, you know, obviously his track record has been quite debatable up to this point. And there was the feud with Eminem, whether that was planned or not. It was still interesting to see that, you know, somebody's success, despite that album going to number one and despite his follow-up, I think, going to, you know, number one on the Billboard 200 as well, uh, you know, there's there's significant pushback as well as contribution to whether these artists can actually put out their records. We saw it with Post Malone. We've seen it with him. And then you contrast that to maybe a Drake or even an Eminem during his prime in, in 2003-4 when he released Encore. And those albums, you know, Encore specifically and even some of Drake's albums, in my view, if they had one of those boardroom sessions, I question whether that is, those albums would actually be approved to the same level. But then again, they carry such star power. You know, is it bottom line or is it creativity? Or where do we sit on that spectrum? I mean, it's interesting because if you contrast that with Billie Eilish releasing a two single EP today, right? So, you know, she's done guitar songs as an EP with literally two songs. And this is coming after a recent album release as well and after her headlining Glastonbury as like the youngest performer ever. So if you look at it, I do agree that, you know, certain artists are getting almost crushed by the bureaucracy of having to get so many different approvals in a label, but it does feel like certain artists are being given the fast track and the ability to continue to release new music. And maybe there's a line, right, between kind of doing an album, doing singles, solos, and an EP like what Billie Eilish has just released. I wonder if there's going to be more of this where artists are just releasing tracks, smaller albums, concept EPs, where it's just a couple of tracks to keep our appetites wet, instead of doing whole large-scale kind of concept albums that end up kind of getting stuck in all the the logistics of getting approval in in labels offices that's a very good point um you know i think on that note we always talk about how the likes of dsps such as spotify or apple music even soundcloud have democratized access or increased the long tail in the music industry i think that uh, it begs the question, though, that despite the fact that we have established artists uh, with, uh, you know, a significant track record, they, with the exception of The weekend, 
uh, at least at a surface level thought, um, they still choose to work with labels to get their music out there. And I find that interesting because you would think that in this market with the reputation and the fan base these artists have built, they would just walk away. Yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting as well to see how labels structure label record deals, right? Because no longer could you have like a five album deal and say, okay, the fifth one's gonna be the greatest hits type package. If artists are continuing to release music in EP format or certain songs rather than full on albums, right? So is it gonna be time boxed? Is it gonna be the number of songs? It'll be really interesting to see if the record labels themselves can adapt. We've had a, a previous guest, Olivier uh, from Universal, who's talked a lot about kind of the monetization of music through brands and interactions with companies. And maybe it just becomes, hey, you're gonna work with us and we're gonna do you know, kind of almost the licensing out of that music to other kind of, whether it's brand promotions, media and music. It's really interesting. We mentioned The weekend and what he's doing with HBO and the idol kind of that. And, and I wonder how much of a role the label played in any of that or if it was just kind of creativity for the weekend to kind of kind of get an agreement in place and do some of that on his own, or did the label actually say, hey, we need something beyond music. And if you don't want to do music, we're going to have some control around this as well. Yeah, it's a good point. When I was in LA now, I noticed that just in a couple of conversations I've had, uh, there is a growing interest for brands to start working with artists and using that as a springboard for an album rollout strategy. Um, some brand partnerships, I believe, are a little bit questionable, questionable. but um, you know, to your point, I think whether it's on the back of COVID and the lack of touring, meaning that you know, artists need to find alternative ways to generate revenue, whether it means they're able to pull back and focus on their craft and not need to tour as much, I don't know. I think what was, you, you talk about the five album deal with the last record being a greatest hits album. It's quite interesting you mentioned that because I've noticed that there are quite a few established artists. I know the Rolling Stones, Eminem, and a few others at this point in time are releasing greatest hits albums, which I find odd considering we're in the world of the DSP where literal playlists exist for that reason, and you can almost construct them yourselves. So I'm a little bit confused on that. I don't know if you have an opinion at all. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Surprise. Um, but yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily have a clear opinion on that, but what I will say is that I think artists are looking at, you know, previously it would have been people like Chance the Rapper, but now even with like the, the re-emergence of Kate Bush's running up that hill, right? Like a song like that where she owned all the rights, the royalties, because not only did she write and produce, but she kind of kept her licensing rights. And then she was in control when Stranger Things wanted to feature that song. And now all of a sudden that song shoots back up the charts, it's streaming left, right and center. You know, my 12 year old comes to me and says, oh, you know, Harry Styles is no longer the top performing artist on, um, on Spotify and there's a new song. And then she says, it's running up that hill by Kate Bush. And me and my wife nearly fell over because that song is nearly as old as us. And so that kind of idea of songs and the licensing and the rights to that being super, super important. It'll be really interesting to see if modern artists are seeing, actually, I wanna be in a little bit more control of not just my future, but all of my royalties, all of my licensing, all of my decision-making around kind of where my music gets played, how I'm able to monetize that art in the long run. 
That's super interesting. Maybe it boils down to legacy as well. I think, you know, more established artists, like you you just mentioned that point around Kate Bush, trying to build a fan base and a relationship with the Gen Z and Gen Alpha audiences. And so maybe you, you put together these greatest hits albums because they can easily be promoted by the DSP themselves. It can be promoted across generations and it helps to bring the hits to the individuals and get them to build a fa- build an interest in a new artist. Whereas I think a playlist is something that is harder for them to promote and you've got to kind of seek it out yourself. Yeah. And when we think about like media monetization in general, right? Like we're seeing that influence of Netflix into uh, Spotify and streaming, but we're also seeing, you know, a lot of these media platforms struggling, right? So over the last I think it's quarter that Netflix announced that they had lost a million subscribers, right? And at the same time, if they're finding like, you know, the advertising partnerships with Microsoft that they're going to have to launch, it'll be really interesting to see if Spotify, Netflix, Microsoft, a lot, maybe even Google and some of these other players who own some of the ad revenue and how they monetize alongside subscription numbers as well. And then what that means for artists, right? From an ad revenue generation perspective, if let's say, for example, um, Stranger Things is streaming on Netflix, generating ad revenue from Microsoft, and then Kate Bush has a playlist or a participation in a Stranger Things playlist. All of these different kind of monetization engines, it'll be really interesting to see what roles the labels and the artists have to play in kind of curating and participating in all of this. Completely. And it gets me thinking about when Apple Music launched and they had their radio shows and it was so exciting. It was around 2014, 2015, depending on where you were sitting in the world. And you had, uh, you know, Dr. Dre releasing The Pharmacy and Elton John at Rockadawa. I think that still exists. And there are a couple other shows and it was like, wow, this gives a platform for people to be able to connect, to talk about other forms of media, to talk about brand partnerships to get personable with a fan base in a way that podcasts can't, which I know sounds ironic considering we're recording podcasts right now, but it didn't really seem to work. Uh, I mean, it hasn't really carried through. And Dario, you don't forget Kanye and the STEM app, oh. right? And kind of that, that attempt. And like, I mean, love him or hate him, at least he's experimenting and, and trying kind of new things, right? Around that, whether it's moving into gospel or whether it's actually trying to own the technology platforms that people consume his music on, right? It'll be interesting. I mean, I don't think it worked very well. And I wonder if that music will still find its way onto to most of the DSPs if it hasn't already, right? And it'll be interesting to see if other artists follow suit, right? Like having their own applications, controlling a little bit more of the, the music listener's experience and that connectivity to the brand, the brand being the artist and the consumer being the listener, right? It'll be really, really interesting to see, you know, is there a pushback and do we see kind of people trying to package things? You know, if you think about mobile app development, right? You had things like React Native, which made it a lot easier for developers to launch their own applications and kind of build without using bespoke code. I wonder if we'll see the same thing with artists being able to own their own package and having app downloads to actually control their own album releases. It's an excellent point you make. And I think Kanye, for the interesting things he's said and done, uh, has always tried to test the waters in ways that are refreshing. I think if you go back to the life of Pablo, that album almost set a precedent for being creatively iterative, which I thought was fascinating at the time. The biggest challenge they had was by ring fencing it to title, it compromises the revenue structure, which meant that 
he had to put it on other DSPs in order to make more money. However, as an album, I remember the OG tracks being leaked and some of them in my view were much better than the, the versions that got released. And we have actually noticed there have been some updates to the songs that are on the DSPs. And I thought it was an incredible attempt at being able to continually work on one's music. I think in some instances, as we've seen with the stem players, those songs have been put out that are a bit too raw. Um, and it's interesting to, to hear and, and, and appreciate the creative process, but finding that balance would have been better. Um, but nonetheless, I think that uh, it was a good example of, of how artists can add more synths, change the drum beat, add more lyrics, change the verse. And uh, we used to see that quite a bit when music was leaked and piracy was prevalent in the, in the mid 2000s, um, uh, you know, and, and, and now obviously things are a bit different. But it's almost like software updates, right? Like, in, you know, kind of seeing that there's a raw version of the file or the raw version of the music, and then the artist actually iterating and changing that, right? In the same way that Amazon doesn't look like anything like what it did in 2000, because they've made all of these iterations to it as a product, right? It's interesting to see music and artists kind of thinking about their craft as kind of iterative as well. So maybe you release it, get customer feedback, tweak the drums, tweak the synth, tweak the, the track listing or whatever it might be through a playlist or anything like that. It's re really interesting to see how kind of music is evolving as an art form through these kind of other platforms. And the fact that it is, you know, unlike, you know, things like the written word, right? You're kind of re-consuming this over and over again. I know there's a few kind of hard for people who read books over and over again, but for the most part, you kind of read it once, you consume it, you have that experience. Whereas music is very, very different and you can iterate, you know, you can change a song from one listen to the other. And it'll be really interesting to see if more artists take that kind of experimental approach to releasing music. You know, that reminds me of Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Uh, re-recording re a lot of her catalogue um, because of the Scooter Braun debate. Um, Which we've talked about ad nauseum yeah, on this podcast. Of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, good to see an, an artist re-attempt to capture the magic or lightning in a bottle. And it's, it's challenging, though, you know, because obviously, as you've seen with so many artists, your voice changes, mastering changes, production changes. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. All right, so Dario, what are you listening to? Good question. I feel like New Music Friday has been a big disappointment the past couple of weeks, months, actually. I wake up on a Friday morning like a kid in Christmas, and it's like, oh, check the release radar, fail, check New Music Friday, fail. Um, right now, what am I listening to? It's a good point. Uh, I didn't even have my phone on me, so I can't check my on repeat. But I think I've kind of varied it up across the board. Some some good 80s, 90s rock, right through to some new dance to hip hop, but old school hip hop. Um, talking of old school hip hop, did you know that on A Tribe Called Quest's final album, Kanye West was meant to be a member of, the, of A Tribe Called Quest for that album specifically? Really? Very random comment, but yeah. Did not know that. Tribe is, is definitely you know, one of my staples and, and love some tribe. Um, you know, it's interesting. We've seen, uh, um, you know, we were talking about Ed Sheeran. And, and so I've still been listening to a lot of that Ed Sheeran remixes and his kind of play with others. And a lot of the, the interesting kind of um, collaborations. So right now I've been blasting a lot of Wes Nelson and French Montana's Fly Away. I really like that. So, and you know, the interesting thing is like, TikTok is really influencing my music listening. And how? Well, so I, you know, things like um, Doja by the new uh, British artist, 
and um, even that Wes Nelson song with French. And um, if I think about you know all of this stuff with Lizzo and everybody else, they become viral through these TikTok memes. And then you can't help but kind of listen to those songs on Spotify. I, I mean, I feel like a, I must be a 21 year old girl, but instead I'm this 45 year old man who can't get off kind of TikTok and its influence on my music. Listening. You're skewing the data, you're skewing the data. Are you, are, you, are you a TikTok user yourself or is it through kids? I am a TikTok user. So partially I started using TikTok because I wanted to kind of see what it was like as an experience also for my teaching at London Business School, but also because I want to kind of see what my daughter is going to be seeing and how the algorithm works and all that. And what I found is, is a great experience and the interesting tie up to music, to dances, all of that has really kind of influenced my listening. Interesting. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Um, okay. So to wrap it up, just to put it out there, you know, we're back. Uh, we're excited to record again. And most importantly, we've got some kick-ass guests lined up. So uh, we've got an exciting journey ahead. Hopefully you found this exciting too. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, on Middle School, that's MDL, SKL, or you can even find us on Instagram or look for our playlist on, on Spotify. Um, otherwise, I think that's everything, right? I think that's everything. Thanks, everyone. And see you, Dario. <laughs> Cheers, man. Bye. to your podcast.